And when we thought about the pandemic, theater's really about community. Mm-hmm. Theater's really about coming together as a group of human beings in a room for a communal event, if you will. Uh, the live aspect of theater is what separates us in a way from film and from video and many of the events and other art forms. And one of our challenges was, okay, we can't gather. So what do we do? We are looking forward our way. On the campus of Otterbein University in Cowan Hall, Westerville, Ohio, I'm with Carol as usual. Hi, Brett. How's it going today? Hey, good, good. We're on uh, location, which is going to be fun for this episode. Absolutely. And it's actually my alma mater. So I'm giving a big plug to Otterbein and thanking everybody here for taking really good care of us. All right. So we are going to explore something completely different today. We've really lost so much during the pandemic. Children have not been able to go to school. Many people have lost their jobs or had to really quickly pivot to working from home. Technology has literally overtaken our world, and we nearly lost our art world. The first glimmer of hope came back in the spring when we started to hear a lot of music, people playing from their porch or via Zoom or drive-in concerts, and all of our major musicians were writing new music and producing their records from their home. TV show reunions were created, supporting nonprofits often, which was phenomenal. Movies were released on alternative platforms, and plays began zooming right into our living rooms. So today, we're going to explore how creative artisans have not just pivoted, but explored and excelled so many new and wonderful ways to provide the rest of us with the wonder of art. Yeah, this is this is going to be a great episode. And we have guest artists who will be peeling back curtains, uh, unveiling the canvases, and provide us with a look behind the scenes. In this episode, uh, we want to introduce Professor T.J. Gherkins. He is Chair, Department of Theater at Otterbein University. Uh, Professor Gherkins has taken his expertise as a lighting designer all over the world, including the L.A. Opera, New York's Metropolitan Opera, Goodman Theater in Chicago, on and off Broadway, as well as in England, Australia, and La Scala in Milan, Italy. He's created lighting designs for innumerable plays from Chicago to Snoopy to Damn Yankees to Fiddler on the Roof. Professor Gherkins is, of course, an Otterbein alum, and we yes. welcome him to the podcast. Cards. And, and we had talked <laughs> off Mike. you have a couple of, of other um, uh, performances we want to talk about as well, too, that you're doing currently. Yeah, so some of the things that have been perhaps highlights of my work or things that people might know is I was part of the creative team as lighting designer for Mary Zimmerman's Metamorphoses that ran on Broadway uh, very successfully and also was played across the country and the world. It's one of our Australia pieces. And this uh, past winter, I had the pleasure of lighting the world premiere of an opera called Eurydice, which basically took uh, the stage play and created it into a new uh, modern opera, and that will be premiering at the Met in November, pandemic willing. Good. November of next year. Next year. Pandemic <laughs> willing. willing, yes. <laughs> We're probably going to be saying that for a yes. while. Yes. Yes. yes, exactly. Well, thanks. I knew you'd do a better job of explaining those than me reading a bio, so appreciate that. <laughs> well, theater people are always good at self-promotion. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get started. We've got lots of questions, and um, for our audience, uh, we want to make sure that you see the creativity and value of the art world, even through 
a pandemic. So we thought this would be a lot of fun to cover. And uh, in the story notes, we will have resources for folks to refer back to. So let's go ahead and get started. Sounds great. Um, Families have had to deal with incredible transformations at the beginning of this pandemic. Um, It's really difficult to realize how much we were losing in nearly every sector of our world. But in the past eight months, I think the most dramatic adjustment has been for you and your organizations to help keep the public engaged and interested in the arts. You know, that's a a really uh, great question and a great challenge for us. As an educational institution, we operate on two planes. As an education, where, of course, that's our primary mission, but we also have a very engaged audience here in Westerville, and they are a part and partner of everything we do. And when we thought about the pandemic, theater's really about community. Mm-hmm. Theater's really about coming together as a group of human beings in a room for a communal event, if you will. Uh, the live aspect of theater is what separates us in a way from film and from video and many of the events and other art forms. And one of our challenges was, okay, we can't gather so what do we do and how do we create that feeling of communal engagement uh, when perhaps you're watching from your living room with a bowl of chips instead of sitting in our seats uh, in your favorite season tickets so one of the things that we thought about that and you know our our team brainstormed on this uh, Elizabeth Salzgiver our managing director was key in thinking about this was we we made a choice to take our shows online which was kind of forced on us in a way that's what we're doing and we decided to make them as live as we could everything about them to try to capture the live feeling, the feeling of an event. I say that going to a theater has to be enough of an event that you're going to hire a babysitter, probably drive downtown or into Westerville's congested parking scene, spend an evening there and drive home. It's got to be an event. And so we chose to take our shows and stream them. We've recorded them live here on our stage in Cowan Hall, produced Uh, with lights, sounds, set, costumes. And we had the options of either setting them up as on-demand events or making them discrete events. So we set them at our usual production times, 7.30 on Thursday, 8 o'clock on Friday, 8 o'clock Saturday, Sunday matinee. And we decided to hold to that because that's the event. That makes it a time to gather. Everyone's going to be watching this at the same time. We also taped pre-show curtain speeches with the faces that our audience is familiar with seeing. And we also started creating audience engagement pre-show talkbacks. We had talkbacks with the playwright and uh, composer from Theory of Relativity that we premiered in um, October. And we just tried to create as much of the feeling of live. And we did our first show that way. And the pandemic forced our second show into a Zoom format because we had a number of cases within the department and we needed to keep our students safe. So we went into Zoom and we thought, how do we do that with Zoom? Right. And so we created backdrops for all of our actors so they were all seen in front of designed, painted work. We had already built the set and the costumes, so they wore the costumes, and we created montages between each of the acts that showed the scenery and the people working on the scenery and the costumes. And we used the music that was created by students for the show to try to take it out of the world of a boring Zoom thing that we've all been forced to sit through 
and turn it into a Zoom event. Right. That has it, a little it's more not a that. meeting. It's not yeah. a Zoom meeting. It's right. not a meeting. It's a right. production. Yes. So our core was to try to think about how we can do it live. And fortunately, we're going to be able to move back to the Cowan stage for our dance concert and hopefully for our spring shows, pandemic willing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we're finding some modifications to our world, of course, due to the pandemic. But, you know, it's causing some positive changes. Have you seen positive changes in your work and your arts organizations that you believe were needed even before the pandemic? Well, you know, it's interesting because the pandemic has occurred simultaneously to a civil rights and social change that's going on. And for me, it's a little hard to separate the two because they're happening simultaneously. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about both of them. And on, on one hand, the social change that's happening, everybody in theater works a million miles an hour. I think most of us do, but mm-hmm. especially in the theater, we, we work a million miles an hour. And it's seldom that we slow down mm-hmm. and we pause and we think about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And the pandemic has forced us to do that. And so one of the things that has happened, which has been an interesting mesh of pandemic plus civil action, is that we're all questioning. We're questioning how race works. We're wondering how gender works within the theater. We're wondering how employment structure and internships and all those socioeconomic factors work within our industry. And I think that that's a really a great outgrowth of all of this is we've been forced to take a pause and think about that. We we're starting to ask questions like in theater, a 16 hour day is not uncommon. Yeah. Why? There are many fun, you know, financial answers to that question, but you know, we're, 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 we're questioning all of these things. Um, and also when you look at the work, one of the things that happened in the pandemic was just the explosion of self-generated work, which I think is a, is a, a fascinating thing. You know, as we've been moving into a world where the gig economy is even larger than it used to be, the idea of artists not waiting for a job to come along, but creating that job right. or creating that work. So we've seen an explosion of artwork and then, frankly, a, uh, an embracing of different media. You know, it's like, okay, we have to be online. Well, what can we do with online? How do we make online theater? How do we make it theatrical? Can we enhance our theatrical work with the online work? Will some of that carry over? And one thing that I think is kind of fascinating right now is that since ticket sales are, frankly, down the drain right now due to the pandemic, um, people are taking greater risks. You're seeing theater companies produce work online that they normally couldn't build into their main stage season. And frankly, a great example of this is Catco right now with their uh, plays towards an anti-racist tomorrow. You know, is, you know, the new management team at CACO's just sees this opportunity and is doing a series of plays that I don't know that they would have been able to produce on a main stage season. And that's frankly a wonderful thing. Because a lot of the decision making of what you're going to put on your stage has to be tempered with who your audience is and who yeah. your supporters and funders are. Sure. So if you can pull this off and put it online, that get, does give a whole lot, a, a, a larger broadband for you to work in. Which it, is, it also, frankly, opens the door to people experiencing something that they might not have taken the effort to go downtown to see. Right. Oh, very you much know, so. If you right. can take in something from your living room with a couple clicks of your remote... You might expose yourself to something you had never considered, 
And now if we put that on the main stage season, when all this ends, maybe you'll come see it. I, so. I have... Uh, I used to come to all of the Otter Buying Productions and really haven't Thank had you. time due to work and yeah. all, the, all the other stuff to sort of make the commitment. And then I think at the last minute, oh, I should have probably gotten that ticket, you know, not making it. To, I, I don't live far enough away to say I can't make it to campus. But when it all came online, I thought to myself, what a great opportunity for Otter Buying alum who haven't been here in years to take advantage of seeing something a production of the college, of the university. And what, what you're saying there is also one of the byproducts that we're really enjoying is that, uh, you know, we are a university and our students' families love to see our shows. Right. A lot of our students' families are in Texas, in California, in Colorado. Right. We had a student in Hawaii here for four years. And uh, one of the byproducts of this pandemic shift is that we have people, you know, Aunt Josie and Uncle Ben and all your <laughs> grandparents and everything can watch from all around the world. And so people who wouldn't have had the opportunity to see our wonderful students perform suddenly have the opportunity to see our wonderful students perform. So, so you're thinking online experimentation may become a norm. Well, it, it, or it may. Could. It has an it, opportunity it to become and so. One of the challenges, of course, has been intellectual property rights. True. You know, and that's been kind of a thing this is like thrown open. You know, <laughs> it's always been verboten right. to record right. or broadcast for obvious reasons. Sure. And now we've secured rights to plays, and our audiences in faraway places are watching them. I think the one thing, too, that um, I'm absolutely fascinated with is this notion of that you just mentioned. The opportunity, not just for the artist to do something different, but for me as an individual to see something different. Um, I can't say I uh, dislike Taylor Swift, <laughs> but I was absolutely fascinated that this young woman wrote the songs and produced the songs of her latest album, At Home, yeah. including the videos that went with it. And... So, of course, you know, there's nothing else to do in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm watching Taylor Swift yeah, and, it, and loved it. She did a phenomenal job as a young artist. Not young, young, but she's, she's just did a wonderful job. So, And if you think about the offerings that rushed online to fill the void when we locked down, um, people I know who had never seen any of my operas found the streams from the Met and... Just about everyone I know watched my operas for several days, and they might not be people who had ever gone to an opera. Right. They might think about it again next time. It exactly. might be on their plate of possible options. Maybe this is for me. Wonderful. So That would be wonderful. So, you know, we've already talked about some innovative things that are going on um, for you and other artists that, that you've either created or adopted. Can you think of some other kinds of things that, that are happening um, when they couldn't be live in-person events? You know, what I'm seeing, first of all, is some really creative things like uh, a group uh, locally, a friend of mine, Rick Clark, I know is involved with, is doing radio plays online, which is just a really interesting thing to me. I love that genre. But also, you know, organizations are doing pop-up uh, concerts and performances in neighborhoods. In a way, yes. they're making it in person, and they're bringing it to a more local community. So in a way, what we're seeing on the internet is getting more broad. You can see it all over, a little bit more global. 
yet live, in-person things are frankly getting a little bit more local. I know the Columbus Symphony has been doing pop-up concerts around mm-hmm. Columbus. In Chicago, the Goodman Theater has taken their show Fanny about the civil rights activist Fanny Lou Hamer, and they've they've got a little portable stage that folds out of a truck, sort of like a food truck, and they'll they'll have scheduled times and they'll show up in a neighborhood, put it up, they'll do this one-person show. And the audiences will really enjoy it. And then I'm, I'm going to raise up again, uh, CACO's plays towards an anti-racist tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, a series of, of, of readings, or they're more than readings, performances, online performances of plays that, again, we wouldn't, I'm not sure we would have done before. And, you know, that those little pop-ups that started actually back in the spring when weather was getting warmer yeah. was a true, not just a community collaboration or a community connection it may have been a life-saving line for some people who yeah. just had no one and were by themselves in the same four walls of their house um, to have young children playing music, you know, on the sidewalk. So these folks, especially older folks, could come out and listen. I mean, that was powerful. Yeah, I hope one of the things, I hope one of the byproducts of this pandemic, this sounds a little self-promotional, and forgive me, but, you know, one of the things we as a culture did when we locked down is we turned to the arts. Mm-hmm. We turned to the streaming performances. We turned to our musicians. We turned to theater. We turned to dance. And, and I hope when this ends, perhaps we'll have an escalation of our value of that. And one of the challenges of that, because remember, any art form is also in a way an industry. You know, people have to be able to right. eat, et cetera. And, you know, one of the challenges of the pandemic is we are creating this proliferation of artwork, but it's also a lot harder to make a living from it because we are largely offering it at tremendous discount or free. And I I hope that as people reflect on the lockdown and reflect on how art was there for them, how music was there for them, how theater was there for them, that when we come back – that they'll help support us and right. help, help our industry come back. I, I think that those of us who enjoy the arts during this time have to be really thankful that artists are so compelled to do their art that they didn't just make it available to us. They made sure we knew it was yeah. available yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, thank goodness for television showing us these programs and Facebook making highlight yeah. of it. And um, but But I agree with you. We... Uh, we were, we, I think we'd gotten to the point of where we were treating art as an industry mm-hmm. instead of as an art form. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it's got to be somewhere in between. Obviously, as artists, we're compelled to create art. We can't not do it. Right. But on the other hand, we also need to eat and right. pay bills and pay bills yeah, and all exactly. those mundane things we have sure. to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think in, in the long run, this elongated period of us forcing ourselves, we have to slow down. Yeah. There's no other way of doing yeah. it. And I think. When we as a society are able to slow down, we sometimes accept the arts a bit more because we have the time to enjoy them. I certainly know I watched this things in the last six months that I wouldn't have had the time to watch right. before. Isn't that the truth, right. yes. You know, and hopefully watch- we reevaluate our lives when we start to pick up again going, you know what, this was important to me. I am going to continue yeah. to slow down. I don't have to do this. I, I, I wonder if we're going to be under this slowdown so long it's going to become habit-forming. Yeah that we now, it's normal to do this. It only takes a short amount of time for something to become a habit. 
Well, it, one of the things we've wrestled with on an educational front, of course, is that we have to, you know, keep our students safe. <laughs> you know, that's sure. prime directive, you know. And we've had a mantra here at Otterbein's Theater and Dance Department that the show must go on, or maybe it doesn't right now. Interesting. And that's something that never existed in the language of theater. <laughs> never. <laughs> and that's why there are times that we stopped what we were doing. We paused rehearsals for a week, and we shifted Enemy of the People to a Zoom production, which was not our first choice. Because at a certain point, we said the show must go on. Or maybe right now, for safety, it doesn't. And we just step back a little bit. So interesting. Yeah. Well, some artists and art organizations have taken this opportunity to better utilize various social media outlets and technology to deliver art opportunities to students and the general public. In your estimation, how effective have these audiences been in adapting to these moves toward the internet? You know, what are you hearing from audiences? Are they ready to adapt? Are they really still longing for those live performances? And, you know, you've, you've got to tell them to calm, wait, we'll be there, but here's what we have to offer. I'll give you the definitive yes. <laughs> Both. Both. Um, our, uh, I've been thrilled with how our Westerville audience has stayed with us. It's a little hard for us to gauge numbers because we're basically, instead of selling individual tickets, we're selling screens, Mm-hmm. So we know how many screens we have. We just don't know how many people are really attending. Um, but, you know, our, our audience has been with us and, frankly, have been incredibly supportive, both both emotionally and of our students and also, frankly, financially, which has really helped us through this. Um, at the same time, they all want to know, when's it going to be back? Yeah. When's it going to be alive? Because theater is this thing. The theater is this live thing. So one of the things that's been a challenge is, you know, if you look at the arts audience, the arts audience tends to be a little older. You know, mm-hmm. that's been historically true. Uh, I said to somebody once um, who was saying, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen when the older arts audience gets too old to come? And I said, you know, to me, it's a bit of a thing that you age into arts patronage. I think you're very excited about it as a young person. Perhaps you go do all these things, and then at some point in your life, that's, that's right. where you come back in a way. And uh, so we, we have audiences that are not the young millennials who are you know, doing all the high-tech stuff. And you know what? They've been hanging with us. And uh, again, our managing director, Elizabeth Saltzgiver, has been on the phone helping them out with, well, this is an HDMI cable. This is how you do it. Nice. And in a way, box office has blurred the lines with tech support Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. but i love how our patrons have stayed with us and people are trying it and people are experimenting with it and i think they're enjoying it and appreciating it and they want to know when it's going to be back to live yeah so Mm. um when when we're talking about all of the things that have been happening during the pandemic a lot of it seems to be short-term changes, but they actually could be long-term changes, too. Um, might we expect to enjoy art performances and exhibits and art education in, in these new um, formats? And how well do you believe that the public's going to adapt to those changes? You know, I, I think that uh, it's going to be a blend. I think there will be things that we will be thrilled to death to get back to the old way of doing, mm-hmm. such as sitting side by side in a theater right. and, you know, enjoying the lights and the, the performances. And I think there are things that we're going to say, you know, this was really, 
really productive. And this is a way we can experience that's, that's different. And maybe we don't have to be confined by what we used to do. I think that you're going to find more pop-up theater and more pop-up art. I think you're going to find things that are more local in a way because we've brought it out to the community. I, I, I hope people will expect that. And I think that if you're, if you're live, you know, if you're going to see it live, I'm hoping it's going to be more local to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that most of us are hoping that some of the intellectual rights explorations we've done to allow streaming will perhaps be modified to allow us to do things like that in the future where we can also bring that local to a larger audience that may be local to the people involved, like our students and their parents, while still respecting the intellectual property and compensation of you know the people who generate the material. Um, and again, the biggest thing I hope is I, I hope people will remember the role the arts played in getting us all through this. You know oh, what I mean? Absolutely. You know, I, I just want to s- circle back to that. You know, I think there will be changes. More things will be virtual. Frankly, we've discovered that we can do meetings online. And, you know, maybe I might not fly as much because I don't necessarily need to fly to every meeting in a different city. Right. You know, I think some of those things will make work a little easier, but I look forward to getting back to live. Right. I, I like that notion that you were saying about doing things locally. Mm-hmm. As a student at Otterbein, um, with Dr. Dodrell here yes. going strong, he you was, know, with he theater. He was my, my chair when I was here. Oh my gosh, he was just, I, I, he was he was the embodiment of theater. He was truly. a powerhouse. He, was, he, he really was. And um, we became, I mean, many of us were pretty poor kids who somehow got here and had never been to a stage performance before had no cl- other than our you know our high school or our uh, elementary school yeah place. productions but we saw quality theater locally and and i think that that's is what's um maybe the blessing out of the pandemic is that we can um support arts because they belong to us. They're yeah. ours here. We're not just supporting the Met sure. or Broadway or whoever yeah. in some other place, even downtown Columbus. We're supporting our community and our our local artists. And I think that that's a powerful message. And even when you're looking at those big-name musicians like the Taylor Swifts of the world, they brought it to a local – they brought it to their people. Now their people are all over the world, but it, it it they made it personal, as opposed to or an organization. You know, and I think that's very very astute. And when I think of the virtual productions I've watched from around the country during this time, it's usually because I had some connection, right? You know, I, I I watched a community theater production out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and it's because. It was an Otterbein Theater alum who had let us know on the uh, alum Facebook page that it was happening, you know, and the the Met productions I watched were generally the ones where I knew somebody in the cast or I knew somebody in the design team. And, uh, and, and I really do hope that the things like the CSO bringing the concerts to the neighborhoods, the, the CACO productions, our pieces being online, just may make people realize what's in the community for them mm-hmm. and realize it's really good, that it doesn't have to be from somewhere else to be wonderful. It sounds to me like 
too, um, you got to see productions you never would have had a time to see from other people, not just what you're doing here, but to see it from other connections that you have. And so um, the art world had an opportunity to expand itself personally. Certainly. Certainly. Very cool. Certainly. Well, we've stressed technology. It's made a difference in our new normal for the arts right now. However, in your use of technology, do you see the need for additional tech tools, programs, software, or hardware in order to increase opportunities to enjoy the arts? I mean, when you're going through a performance, kind of, boy, I wish we could do, could we, is there, does that exist? You know, that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, if you could change Zoom or the other programs you use, what changes would you need or would you wish for? Well, I know just enough about science to know this is a challenge, okay? Because I've always had a deep interest in science. Um, But the key for us, frankly, just from a production standpoint, is greater synchronization. And that sounds a little abstract, but these Zoom recordings that you're seeing of choirs, none of those were done live because the latency and lag Mm -hmm. just makes it impossible. All of those were recorded individually and then mixed the way you mix a multi-track recording and synced up with video to put back out online. And I know for our production of the uh, Theory of Relativity, which was a musical, those people never actually sang together in a room because it wasn't safe. And so uh, Doc Davis, our uh, sound designer and recording engineer, spent weeks individually recording each student from their own dorm through an internet connection and then mixed them all down into this massive sound bed that became the, 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 the sound for the show. And so to me, if I had one thing I wish Zoom did better was synchronization or an online environment. And I know that's kind of technical, yeah. but each one of those choirs you see on Facebook singing, they're not really singing together. They're... That is really technical, but that's probably the complaint that everybody has is, well, their mouth and the and the music isn't matching. Well, it's 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 extremely difficult. And actually, a a gentleman who was the chair here, John Stefano, for years, Mm -hmm. frankly uh, shared with me that he had pioneered some of this with his uh, synagogue in doing their broadcast recording. So that's one for me. That's the most technical one. And the second one wraps social activism into it which is frankly greater to access to high-speed internet. That's mm-hmm. been one of the problems of both creating and enjoying arts over the internet is that if you are recording 15 people in a Zoom production or even just recording their voices the way we did for Theory of Relativity, if they don't have a solid high-speed internet connection, suddenly in the middle of the song they sound like a robot. You know, mm-hmm. or they drop out for a second, or you know, when we decided to take Enemy of the People into the Zoom environment, we had the choice of do we do it live, live, which is what I've been saying, live, live, live. And we decided that every single meeting any of us have ever been in has had people drop in and out. Oh, you're on mute, you know, and and uh, that that internet access, the ability to have a robust high speed connection, both to help create remote art and then also as an audience member to experience it i think that that's a a social challenge for us you know we need to in a way make internet a utility yeah i i wonder if there will be a day two three years from now because i know i've heard our advancement in technology has actually been 
we're five years ahead of ourselves yeah. because of the pandemic. And, 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 and hopefully we can look back on this conversation three years from now going, remember at the, at the beginning of the pandemic where all oh, the internet boy, that new software that came out just, to, just, just made it explode, didn't it? You know, yeah. that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. I th- to me, and this is the optimist in me, it will come. Yeah. Someone, sure will, it see will. An op- someone will see an opportunity yes. and figure out how that software and that technology can work for specifically. Zoom was never designed for no. what you're using no. it for. No. N- and, but somebody will create something that will because they see an opportunity to help the arts as well as make some money yeah. and help the arts make money. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's it just inevitable. Will. And, you know, it, talk about a blend with education. I have several friends who are teachers and principals, and the biggest – and college faculty also. The biggest hurdle they had to deal with last spring was they had students who had to go back home. They weren't allowed to stay on campus, and they lived in an area with no Internet yes. connection. And so that need at the educational level could help drive some of this that is then going to be – helpful for the arts so hopefully hopefully yeah. so yeah. before we get to our um, the the last question um you've uh, mentioned that you ha- are making some changes to the spring oh, yes. um uh, list of of programs for otterbein and and i just want to put in a plug that i've seen both um theory of relativity and enemy of the people and the students did a phenomenal job <laughs> so i'm putting my plug into the audience to make sure you check out otterbein's schedule but maybe i uh, want you give us a little overview of what you're planning to do in the spring yeah we actually just announced to our students last week today that we're going to be switching out our two spring offerings. And the reason we're switching them out is because we picked them before the pandemic mm-hmm. happened. And, you know, I've mentioned intellectual rights a few times, but right now the pool of pieces of theater that are available for virtual streaming rights is very, very small. Mm-hmm. And uh, our spring musical, City of Angels, is not on that list. Right. And uh, when we looked at Midsummer, which was our winter straight play, uh, it's about a bunch of lovers getting together <laughs> pairs of lovers and about a lot of lovers cavorting in the forest and one of the main dramatic devices is a group of characters called the rude mechanicals who their humor is physical and it's slapstick and it's 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 something that doesn't really translate to you need to stay six to 12 feet apart (laughs) you know so when we looked at this piece and frankly it's been hard for our department because all of us were looking so forward to doing midsummer night's dream and uh, so we have pulled both of those shows and in its place we're putting shakespeare's the tempest and uh, one of our faculty members uh, while we were discussing this you know we talked about things like um it has the same kind of magical, fantastical element. It is a light play uh, in, within the Shakespeare world. I'm not sure I'd call it a comedy comedy, but it's not a tragedy or a history. And it has delightful characters and memorable lines and all this. And one of our faculty members, Jesse uh, Glover, said to me, it's also a play that at its root is about a person who has been wronged, mm. deeply, deeply wronged. And they have the opportunity to wreak revenge on those who wronged them and kill them, the person almost does it and then chooses to forgive them. And whatever happens, this is pre-recorded before election results, whatever happens with the election, we're going to want to hear that message. 
right around inauguration time. Whatever side you're on, whatever, somebody's going to need to hear that message. And perhaps I have a suspicion every single one of us needs to hear that message. So that play speaks to me as, as the artistic director of the company very strongly. And then our musical, we're going to be doing a play called Into a Lamplit Room, which is kind of a cabaret of Kurt Vile songs. And it is... Um, it was created, I believe, down at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Uh, they basically got the rights to these Kurt Vile songs and basically created a story that kind of tracks his life and music nice. through a series of cabaret pieces. And uh, so we're, uh, we're looking very forward to doing that. And again, both of them lend themselves a lot more to social distanced staging mm-hmm. where you can't have our performers be within six feet of each other so right right well and hopefully in the spring it's going to be a little little bit easier so let me go ahead and then go along sure. with my last question you've you've given us a lot of resources of places to go to to think about where can we find art uh, in this new world and um are there other places or other um uh audiences that we can also assist with information about the world of art and events that are coming up, think programs that you know of that we should take take note of? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know of clearing houses of information yet. They might exist. I just haven't seen them. Uh, Facebook is a big go-to to me in my Facebook community. But then again, I'm connected to generally art people, right. <laughs> you know, so I, of course, right. hear about it. Uh, quick brief plug we're going to be doing on December 6th at 2 p.m. a uh, virtual broadcast of our launch, which is when we showcase our senior performance majors. Right. And it's a fundraiser to help them uh, do a showcase in New York City to get mm-hmm. exposure and jump into being, frankly, the next generation of creative artists on Broadway so or anywhere else. Uh, so if you're looking for something on December 6th at 2 p.m., we have a great piece called The Launch. But, you know, one of the things that I go back to is right now a lot of the folks who are producing are a lot of the schools are experimenting. Mm-hmm. A lot of your companies that are um, – you're used to seeing in the in the news in your local community doing art. Most of them have something, and I'm going to just do a plug for art galleries mm-hmm. because most art galleries are set up for social distancing, and you can still go and in person experience that. I know Otterbein has four art galleries, and we have shows in our art galleries right now, and uh, it's still a great way to to do that. So what I would do is if you have theaters that you already know of or school programs that you already know of, seek them out. See what they're doing. A lot of us are kind of figuring it out as we go by what the pandemic allows. Uh, So it may not be as publicized, but there's great concerts happening, great music concerts happening, great theater happening. And if you see something that piques you, it's a lot easier just to try it out. Yes, would do, you, some, do some experimenting yeah. yourself, right? Would you like a symphony concert? I don't know. Maybe I'll try it. Yes. And Same you, thing with theater. And you know, added to that, when you experiment and you like it, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell everybody. Tell everybody. Even better. Put it on Facebook and say, I enjoyed this, even though it's post-concert. But there could be a couple more performances left yeah. of that series. Or, or another new performance they're going to be doing. But right? tell somebody. Yeah. Tell a bunch of people. Just put it on Facebook and say... 
I'm a I'm an arts geek today. I love this. <laughs> or even and you, you should look at it too. Even gee, I never thought I'd like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, Can that's you picture better. me watching X? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Yes. And then remember it when the pandemic's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very remember true. us when you're back to your mm-hmm. lives and 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 support us. Yeah. Very and, true. Well, and on top of that too, tag the arts group that you are promoting as well too. Put make sure you mention them in your Facebook post or your yeah. Twitter post and such, so you know it's going on as well. Yeah. yeah. And there are also a couple of great arts organizations in Columbus that are kind of, I guess, the clearinghouses. I was think, trying to think of earlier, Greater Columbus Arts Council, Ohio right. Arts Council, uh, are great uh, repositories of knowledge of what's going on. But also, you know, know that that your organizations haven't gone dormant. Right. Most of us are doing something. It so, may, and Kappa is also Kappa, Kappa, Catco, Ballet Met, uh, Columbus Jazz Orchestra. You know, uh, people are still creating. It just doesn't exactly look like we're used to it looking. Yes. Mm. Don't be afraid of Google. Just go in there and Google it. Yeah. And it's going to yes. come up. And and to our listeners, we're going to have a list of resources for you so that it will be easy for you to find all the websites for the places that we've mentioned in this in this episode. And it will all be listed on the show notes. All right. Well, you know, this has been wonderful. It, all, new perspective on, on how to take advantage of venues available to enjoy and appreciate the world of art. You know, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate Thank it. You. This has been really insightful. My pleasure. And thanks for uh, supporting the arts. Absolutely. Yeah.